We've got to turn the corner now to uh, Acts 15. So um, we're going to spend a few weeks in uh, this chapter. It's kind of a famous chapter. It's sort of like the first dispute that the church ever had, and it was over the scope of God's grace. And this is our second week looking at it. And the title that we're using for this particular series, four weeks in Acts 15, is Cultivate an Environment of Grace and Figure Out How to Get Along. So we're spending two weeks talking about what is an environment of grace, cultivating an environment of grace, and then we're spending two weeks thinking about how do we get along. And I think there's a lot of lessons in here for us living in our modern context, kind of crazy context that we're in. So I hope that you'll see that as as we go through it. So last week, um, we talked about uh, the grace of of God as given through Jesus Christ. And um, we talked about the importance of, you know, really the first step is receiving the grace of God. Um, That's what has to happen even before we think about giving grace to others in many respects. And it's really hard for us to give something that we don't actually have. And so um, the grace of God comes to us in Jesus Christ, and there's kind of this, this vertical element to it. And I was encouraging us last week to align our thinking about ourselves with the way in which God thinks of us in Christ. So the grace that God gives us in Christ uh, is powerful, but oftentimes we don't we don't align our own thinking. We're, we're continuing to judge ourselves and to criticize ourselves and put ourselves under the microscope and, and point out how we fall, fall short more than God is even doing because in Christ we've been forgiven. We've been shown grace. And so really important for us to fire that inner critic uh, and um, whether that critic is trying to condemn us of God's laws. Now, there's moments when that inner critic brings a kind of a conviction and that's good for repentance and, and restoration, but too much of the time, we sit in that condemnation, self-condemnation, and we're not aligning our thinking with God's thinking about us. And sometimes it's just the self-imposed burdens that we put on ourselves um, that we don't live up to. And so that's the first step, is, is to really uh, allow the grace of God to speak into us individually. That's sort of the vertical element of it. Today we're going to move into the horizontal aspect of grace, and we're going to see in this text how uh, it was really important that the, the people in the church in Antioch reflect God's stance, God's perception of them towards one another so that the grace becomes horizontal, that we're showing grace one to another is, is the message of that. So would you turn, turn to Acts 15 if you're not already there? If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Love for you to be able to uh, read the words in the text and follow along and then be able to take this home. If you don't have a Bible at home, I want you to take this home with you. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and it's page 538. And as you're turning there, let me share with you again, I did this last week, but it's one of these passages where if I give you a little background, I think it's going to help you as I read it to make sense of what's going on. So we've got some slides to help with this. Again, this is a famous incident, the first dispute that the church has in Antioch. Now, there's two cities that are involved in this process. So there's Jerusalem and Antioch. Jerusalem is filled with Jewish believers. So people who come, who, who spent their whole lives in Judaism and then came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so there's two kinds of people. There's the Jewish believers. If you go to the next slide, um, and go a couple of slides. There's Jewish believers in uh, Jerusalem. And then up in Antioch, there's Jewish and Gentile believers. So some of the people from uh, Jerusalem have made their way, and from Judea, made their way up into Antioch and beyond, which is a region that's not part of Israel. 
and, and they're sharing the faith with Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are not Jews. It's an ethnic division, ethnic and religious kind of uh, difference. And so these two peoples now are coming together in the church in Antioch, and it's creating sort of a, a difficult dynamic in some ways because you have the Jewish believers who've spent their whole lives eating only certain things. They've been told they're never supposed to fellowship or sit at table with Gentiles, okay? And so uh, that's, their, that's how they've been living for their whole lives. And, and, and I, we don't talk about this, but they're, you know, they, they practice circumcision. This is not something we talk about in our modern you know, context a lot, but it's in the Bible. It was one of the markers of Judaism, and so they, they practice circumcision. And of course, the Gentiles up in Antioch do not. And so there's different kinds of people coming together. And the question is, how do they get along? How, how do they figure this out? And the first part of it is they create an environment of grace. And then within that environment of grace, they figure out how to get along with each other, with the differences that they have. And we're going to see, uh, as is so often is the case in the New Testament, that race is the place where uh, grace is tested. So the real grace is it's tested in these two different people groups coming together and can they work it out and live together. Now, what happens to make for the story that we're reading is that some persons go from Jerusalem up to Antioch and they start telling the Gentile believers that they have to be circumcised and they have to follow all the, the, the rules that the Jews are following in Jerusalem. And that creates a debate because uh, the, the, the Paul and Barnabas and the other leaders are, are saying, no, we don't have to follow all those rules. Um, as we're going to see, we're saved by grace alone. And so Paul and Barnabas make their way back about 350 miles to Jerusalem to have a conversation in Jerusalem about this, this dynamic of these two groups coming together. Uh, and, and that's what the story is. It's the story of them having this conversation. So look with me in verse 1. And you're going to hear some of the bits of this repeated, but uh, the framework is what I've just described. So some men came down from Judea um, and were teaching the brothers in Antioch and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these ones had not understood grace, the extent, the scope of grace, that you don't need to add anything to God's grace, that forgiveness comes merely through um, the the, the, the offer, the free offer of grace. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. So kind of like with Hume Lake, uh, all kinds of stuff was happening with the Gentiles. They were just, people were coming to faith and it was beautiful. And so they were ce celebrating all that had happened. Verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider them this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, 
bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now, the yoke was the thing that you put on the the ox to carry a heavy load. So this has to do with putting this load on them to carry, to follow all the regulations and rules. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Now, there's much more in the unfolding of what happens in the rest of this text, which we're going to get to in the coming weeks. But let me just stop there. That's enough for us to sort of dig in to what we want to talk about today. Because what's happening is you're seeing that the people in Antioch are not aligning themselves with the way in which God handles them. So let me explain. Um, Let me reaffirm what is being said here about the scope of God's grace. Now, grace can be defined, has often been defined as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Um, If I'm on my bike and you cut me off, And then we end up at the next light, and you roll down your window, and you say, hey, man, I'm really sorry I cut you off. I didn't mean to do that. And I say, it's okay. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. We're good, okay? I've absorbed that misdeed that you committed against me, and it is a tremendous misdeed whenever you cut off a cyclist. Um, (laughs) I also recognize the arrogance of cyclists who are always thinking that they have the right of way. Um, so we've got issues uh, on the road. But my point is that um, if, I, if I show you that favor and say it's okay, you know, um, our relationship uh, is, is, is restored in a sense. Our relationship is right. You still have favor with me. Now, take that little sort of worldly uh, thing that, that happens. Uh, and I watched this happen, actually, as I was working on this sermon. I went for a walk around the block, and I saw a driver cut off somebody now, in the cosmic sense, we cut God off whenever we sin, right? We, we, dis, we, we, we uh, ignore what God has taught us about how to live and how to move through this world the way he made us. Um, and then we have this process. We can come back to God and we can apologize. And God can absorb the misdeed that we have committed. And, and, and that's what the cross is. The cross The work of Jesus on the cross is absorbing the sins of the world, absorbing the misdeeds of the world. So that's what what God does. He absorbs it into himself, and we know that because of the cross. We know that he's done it because of the cross, okay? God is willing to absorb, to take into himself the misdeeds of the world, the sins of the world. And we know that because of that, we, we remain or we now have unmerited favor with God. We have favor with God. God's disposition is for us still. We have favor with him. And of course, if we have favor with God, then what else do we have to worry about in this world, ultimately? Of course, there's lots of twists and turns in life, and things sometimes seem to go awry, and we can't make sense, and there's mystery. But at the end of the day, if we have favor with God, then we're good. And in Jesus Christ, God has made that evident and possible. So here's the thing. The cosmic version of this that I just described with God and with Jesus is helped by the earthly local expression of it. In fact, 
The whole world is intended to be a sign pointing to God. And all the things of this world, the creation, this world is, it gives us the kind of mental furniture to understand who God is and what God is doing. And that includes relationships. And so um, when we understand grace, when we receive grace from one another, it helps us to grasp the immensity and the wonder and the splendor of the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And of course, it works the other way too. The grace that God has shown us empowers us to give grace to one another and provides for us the example of grace that we should be giving to one another. And this is why it's so profoundly important that the church be a place of grace. By mirroring the cosmic grace, we help one another grasp it. By demonstrating in our relationships, we show what it's like. We, we sort of pave the way for people to understand the grace that comes from God. And when we have trouble showing grace to one another, we draw on the grace of God, the infinite well that is the cross, which helps us to show grace to one another. And the Holy Spirit that God has lavished upon us to empower us to walk in faithfulness so that we can show grace to one another. And, and I'll just, I'll be the first to admit, and I'm, some of you probably are thinking, wow, you know, I hate to admit it, and probably none of the rest of the people sitting in here have this problem, but I really have a problem showing grace to people. There's some people that I don't like or have harmed me, and, and I just really struggle showing them grace. And you're sitting here feeling really guilty and terrible about that because you're thinking that you're the only one sitting in this room who feels that way. And you're wrong. I venture to guess that every single one of us has a huge battle going on inside of us when we're called upon to show grace. And for whatever reason, there's just some people that are more difficult than others that create a greater challenge for us to show grace. Okay? This is life. This is what, part of what it means to be a sinful human. Okay? Is it's really hard for us to show this grace. So let's just own that at the outset, and that's going to help us move through it to where God wants to take us this morning. It's hard to show grace to another. And when these, you know, when these, uh, these some persons came from Jerusalem to Antioch, like they hadn't really absorbed the grace of God, the scope of the grace of God. And so they were still living under the burden of it. And then they went to Antioch and they tried to put that burden on other people. Okay? Because they hadn't, it hadn't really, the coin hadn't dropped. They hadn't really fully understood in their own lives, and now they were putting it on others. And that's just the normal process. Now, verses 10 and 11 are kind of our, our highlight for, for today. Um, and you see this horizontal dynamic and the vertical one. Verse 10, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So, like, you're, you're putting this burden on the people around you to live up to some expectation when you haven't been able to do it yourself is what Peter is saying, okay? We, and then he's going to say, but we should take our cues from God. And God says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. That's the, 
That's the God perspective on it. So, so it's really important that there be no difference between the scope of God's grace towards others and the scope of our grace towards others. And that's the point we want to make today, is that it's our calling to show grace to all. It's our calling to show grace to all. To extend favor to the image bearers that God brings into our lives. All right, point of clarification. And I think because of the context we're living in right now and the amount of fighting in the world, uh, political and social and otherwise, and the sort of fuel that social media is on that infighting and on and on and on, the intensity of it, I think we need to make a really important clarification here. And that is to say this, that showing grace to someone does not mean you agree on all things. Showing grace to someone does not mean that you agree on all things. No two people have ever agreed on everything. We can disagree with somebody and still have, have, they can still have favor with us. We can have a very intense discussion about things that, that we don't see the same way and yet still love one another, okay? And this is the test, this is the model that the disciples are giving us in the book of Acts here in chapter 15. That through it, they're, 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 hold, they're creating this, they're cultivating this environment of grace. And then, as we're going to see next week and the week after, they're having a healthy debate within that. But they're cultivating this environment of grace. Now, there's some things about truth, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, that play into this as well. Some of you may be wondering. Um, but this, is, this whole notion is a bit contrary to the world around us. Um, we seem to equate in our world today, more broadly, disagreement with disapproval of the very person. If we disagree, then we disapprove of who you are in your very essence. It's almost like we can't separate those two things. We have a really hard time saying, I disagree with you, but you're still a person made in the image of God and valuable and worthy. There's all kinds of factors going. I read a book just recently called um, The Coddling of the American Mind, which is fascinating on this subject. In fact, there's a kind of a summary of it in this week's Economist if you want to follow more, dig more into that. It's, it's kind of a, a crazy thing that's happening in our world today. Um, but I can't go too far into that rabbit trail for the sake of time. What I want to say is that the church, as defined by the New Testament, is to be different. The church is to be different from that. We lead with grace. We're predisposed to show favor to somebody. Somebody asked me after first service, what does it mean to actually show favor? And, and, and I was uh, thinking about showing favor being the acknowledgement that the person before me is made in the image of God. Every human being who's ever walked this planet has been made in the image of God. The acknowledgement that the person is made in the image of God and that Jesus has died for their sin. Now, whether they're going to accept that is, is a question of faith. But those two statements about humanity are so powerful. And to show someone favor is, is to acknowledge that reality, that the person standing before me is made in the image of God and valuable and worthy and special and unique. That's what it means to show favor towards somebody. 
All right, so the church is to be different. We're to be a place that, that's predisposed to show favor. And we can afford to do this because we have this infinite well. Com- the combination of the work of God in Christ on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, plus the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, sort of changes the whole dynamic. Whereas we wouldn't have the ability to show grace. And I just honestly, there are moments this week, because I was thinking about this, where I just thought to myself, Lord, I'm having a really time showing grace in this moment. So, so we're all together in this, I think, that this is hard for us. But we have this infinite well in the work that God has done in Jesus Christ, plus the Holy Spirit enabling us to do what we can't do in our own strength. And that's how the church is to be different. And what does it look like then for us to show grace, to show favor to one another? Now, in the text that we're reading, um, one of the elements, and I think this is the one that helps us to see it in kind of a a clear way, is, is table fellowship. So, you know, when there's a church, we like to eat together, right? And so we sit down at the table together. But when you sit down at the table, there's something very intimate about that. Okay, um, we're, we're, we're seeing each other in, in kind of a, a way that, that touches a, a large part of who we are and what we believe. We're, we're spending time together. Now, this, it's so powerful that the, the Jews who had not become believers yet, those who are not believers, would have spent their whole lives never eating at table with a Gentile because the food of the Gentile was not kosher, as we would say, and so they wouldn't be sitting at the table together to eat. They, they would have been accustomed to being separated for their entire lives from the table. And now that they're both believers in the church together, they're being asked to do something they've never done in their lives, which is to sit together at the table. Now, I'm guessing that for them, there would have been kind of a visceral almost reaction to that at times, because they're sitting with people who are eating things that they've never eaten before right? I went to Spain when I was in my 20s, and I had a friend there, and he took me to his house, and I met his sister, and she seemed really nice, and we had a conversation, and then she went over to the kitchen, in the kitchen, opened the oven door, pulled out a lamb's head, stuck a spoon in the lamb's head, and pulled out some brain, and ate it. And I went, ugh, right? It was a visceral reaction. Now, for her, it was normal. She grew up doing that. For me, I'd never seen it before. Okay, and I was like, not sure if I want to sit next to this, right? It was just uncomfortable. So there's all kind of dynamics there at play um, as these people are trying to come together and do life together, and, and they have to show each other grace and be like, oh, okay, you know? Uh, and, 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 and it was so powerful, this impetus to separate was so powerful that you, some of you will remember, even Peter fell prey to the separation uh, temptation. So it happened in Antioch at the same church. It would have happened before probably this, this time. The book of Galatians was probably written like a year after this Acts 15 um, deal, but it talks about an earlier time. And what happened there is that Peter, the apostle, was eating with Gentiles. So he's up in the Antioch church, and they're eating together, and, every, and it was fine. But then some of the Jews came from Jerusalem, and when they came... Peter separated. He felt uncomfortable eating with the Gentiles, and he went back and ate only with the Jews. So he, 
So that, that internal compass that can pull us away from, from grace is so powerful, right? And we all kind of have one of those inside of us. And it's, it's sometimes working in overdrive to cause us not to show favor with people who are different or people that have harmed us or, or people that we're not used to being around. Because this, this, is, this is the essence of grace is, is to say to somebody, you have favor with me. You have favor with me, okay? You have favor with me. Despite the difference between us, despite your sin, despite what you did to me, how you harmed me, you have favor with me. That's what it, that's what it means to cultivate an environment of grace. So a litany of examples here. Of course, the one that's in this text, you're a different race, but you have favor with me. Now, when the, when the Jews and the Gentiles came together in that Antiochian church, that was like world-shattering to have these people together. And it was the gospel that did it, that brought these, nothing else brought them together like that. It was amazing. And we still need that in our world today for the gospel to bring different races together, right? And the power of the gospel to be at work, that's one of the key ways that this is, but other examples, you're a different class from me, but you have favor with me. You dress differently. You know, sometimes we signal what we believe and who we are and so many things about ourselves by the way we dress. And it's easy to watch somebody and see how they dress and think, oh no, you know, to separate. And, and, and so the example is you dress differently, but you have favor with me. That's what it means to, that's what it looks like to show grace. Um, you, personality stuff, right? You're, you know, honestly kind of too loud for me. Or maybe you're too quiet for me. Or maybe you're too direct for me. But you have favor with me. That's what it means to cultivate an environment of grace. We talk about the different personalities since we're on the topic tests, and I know it. We're all like enamored by Enneagram these days. Um, and I have read a bit about it and actually found it to be insightful in some ways and helpful for my own insight and, and growth and working on things. Um, I would say that some of these personality tests and, and things can become sort of confining sometimes, so we have to be careful about that. But here's where, with this text, we have to be really careful with it. If the result of our personality exam and studies is that it gives us new ways to sit in judgment over one another, then it has failed us desperately, miserably, horribly, right? When we put burdens on people, well, I know what you're supposed to be, but you're not living up to who you're supposed to be, and we sort of begin to lay burdens on people and, and create those judgments, then, then the Enneagram and whatever personality stuff has failed us. It's not cultivating an environment of grace, but it's, it's doing the other. So that's not to say, I mean, I still find some things very insightful about it, but we just have to be very careful how we handle that. So some other areas. Your politics are different. This is, this is the expression of grace. Your politics are different, but you have favor with me. Not going to lie, we've had people leave this church because they don't feel comfortable politically, okay? One way or the other. Both, you know, either side, since we're just in a binary country, um, right? We've had, we've had that happen. Your theology is different, 
but you have, we could talk so much about politics, right, in this arena. What if, like, just think about the people who are on the farthest side who are just so at it in social media. What if they actually just said, you know what, let's stop. You know what, you're made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. You're worthy because of that. I'm worthy because of that. I love you. You love me. Now let's talk about the issues. Wouldn't that be different? What if that happened in our families? I know some of us would love for that to happen. Okay. Um, well, your theology is different, but you have favor with me. Your sin is the most annoying sin to me, right? We, I mean, God sees all sin, but then we have sins that are really annoying to us, right? Particular ones. And, 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 and yet, to, to go across that divide, that difference, that frustration with grace is a beautiful thing. You still have favor with me. Or, of course, and this is very much part of our reality, you sinned against me, you betrayed me. I'm going to extend my grace to you with God's help. And I, I'm going, you still have favor with me. Now, if we could practice that in our marriages, with our children, in our home groups, with our neighbors, where we're really rubbing up against each other, all the, each other all the time. So much of the time we're called upon again and again and again to show grace. And it's so hard. And you can't do it in your own strength. You need God. I read a book called uh, Messy Grace recently by Caleb Kaltenbach. And uh, Caleb uh, is a pastor of a church, um, I forget where, but um, he was raised in a home with two mothers who were, um, you know, very much in the 80s or 90s, um, uh, very much vocal in the gay movement in Kansas City. And he remembers as a child walking in the gay pride parade and having Christians throw or spray urine on them. And he was taught of course, to, to hate Christians. That's how he explains it. Um, and then in one of those crazy things that God does, um, he came to faith in Christ. And that's another story, but it's an amazing story. I encourage you to, to read it. He came to faith. And then shortly after that, he got a call into ministry. And so he's in, he's in seminary, and he starts going out on the weekends to preach at a church. And he spends 18 months preaching at this church. And um, then one day he, he says, okay, I think we're ready. I'm going to bring my mom. I'm going to invite my mom to church. And so she comes and he, he preaches and then, you know, it goes okay. And then they leave. And the next Sunday he shows up to preach again. And the leaders, the, the leaders of the church are standing there on the front. And they say, uh, you know what? And, and I want to say it the right way. He says, it. they said to him, we're not a church that accepts those kinds of people. And so he tendered his resignation right at that moment. And he walked away. And uh, he says he still doesn't know. But he goes on to write this. He says, I told myself in that moment that whenever I got to lead my own church, I wanted a church that was filled with alcoholics, drug users, gang members, people who are bankrupt, people who have no jobs, people who are having marriage issues, people who are struggling with their sexuality, people who are gay, people who are having affairs, people who are depressed, people who are gossipers, even people who are angry church members 
because that is the church Jesus lived for, bled for, died for, rose for, and is coming back for. Now, don't misunderstand this. In fact, Caleb in his journey has come to take the historical, biblical view of sexuality. So he, that's where he's coming from in this whole thing. And, and we're not saying that truth doesn't matter. In all of this, in our expressions of grace, we're not saying that truth doesn't matter. But we're saying that grace and truth are, are not like two sides of a balance and you just sort of weigh them off. It's more like, the metaphor is more like this. They're like two bright lights shining in full luminosity at the same time, okay? Grace and truth are, 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 it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He didn't have a little bit of grace to match the truth and a little bit of truth to match. He was full of grace of truth, full of both, so that we don't temper the one for the other. You don't temper your grace towards only those who have the truth perfectly. You overwhelm with grace and you don't hold back on the truth. That's the testimony of Scripture. And that's the picture that we have in Acts 15 is of people who are full on with grace and full on with truth. And we communicate grace one to another in all kinds of ways. We can, we can speak it in a thousand ways and we can fail to speak it in a thousand ways. The way that we approach one another communicates or doesn't communicate, you have favor with me. The way that we avoid one another, uh, the way that we don't listen to one another, the way that we, that we move, that, we, that we, we try not to build relationship with difficult people, the way that we steer clear, the way that we settle into a sense of discomfort with a different race, perhaps, the way that we settle into our discomforts, all these, they, they unspeak grace, or if we deny them and overcome them, they speak grace, volumes of grace. And that's the beautiful thing about the church is there's so much opportunity for this because we have all kinds of different people melded together in this one community, and we're constantly being faced with difference. It's constant opportunity to say to somebody with the way that we listen or the words that we use or the open embrace of our arms or the, the hands, metaphorically, that affirm one another. Or our eyes. Maybe it's in the eyes most powerfully, the way that we look at each other. And in the deep well of our eyes can be determined, do you really have favor with me? Do you have favor with me? As an image bearer? Now, don't go around judging one another on whether or not you're showing grace, <laughs> right? Everything can be flipped on its head. What this is for is not for us to condemn one another in our lack of grace, but to ask ourselves the question, am I living out grace? That's where the, the energy for this should go. Am I, am I giving favor to the people who are most difficult for me to show favor to? Am I digging in, into the deep well and resource of God to do that when I can't do it in my own strength? That's the question. That's the, that's the call. That's the image of God is imprinted on every soul because the cross is available to all and because some, for some people, our grace, the grace that we show towards them is going to be used by God 
to create the experience, the mental furniture that's going to enable them to finally connect with God's grace towards them. Our grace is going to precede their understanding of God's grace. Think about that with your children. If they grow up experiencing grace, how much of a gift are you giving them? Because when they come to the moment where they're like, oh no, does God love me? Does they, they have the mental furniture to, to grasp it. And for some, this is going to precede their understanding of God. For others, we know that grace is out there, but we're just hung up. And it's the daily reminder of the community of faith that shows us grace that's ultimately going to enable us to get over our hang-ups and really receive the grace of God in the deepest parts of our being. That's the power of grace. And we can say, we can speak grace even when it's hard because God gives us the strength. God backfills the deficit of grace that's part of every sinful human being as he deposits in us what we need. And so God, we come to you today and we ask you to enable us to give grace just as you have done. Each one of us sitting in this room has faces in our minds of people who are harder for us to love. People that we just love to judge, that we can't help ourselves but judge. People who don't live up to our expectations. People who are different from us. People who have betrayed us and harmed us. And the easy path is for us to nurture and harbor bitterness, to practice avoidance, to create a sense of division. But the beautiful path is to extend grace. And so we're asking, Lord, that this week, this day, you would help us extend grace. to all the people made in your image. And that we would become a countersign to a world that continues to divide and hive off in us's and them's, in deepening hatred. Lord, you have, you have called us to something different. And let it begin in this community, in our home groups, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, in this community, and then let it spill out. Wow, there's a people that loves each other across differences. This is your work in us, and we submit ourselves to you and invite you to do it. We thank you that Jesus leads the way.